So why don't you grab your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter eight for our text this morning. There once was a man who lived just outside of a small town in Galilee called Capernaum. It was a town that was thriving, successful. It was actually a, a town where they engineered and made a, sort of a bunch of millstones. That's what they did there is raised, um, or you know, made hundreds and hundreds of millstones every week and then would ship them throughout the land of the Bible. But this man didn't work in the millstone factory. He actually owned some acreage and he was a farmer who was tending the, you know, the field and he owned a couple small fields and he was a young man, he was a young family man. He had a wife and a, and a small child, three-year-old daughter um, that he loved dearly. Um, everything in his life was pretty normal. People respected him, the community knew him. It was all good until that one afternoon. He was out working in the field and he sort of uncharacteristically felt a little fatigued. Some of his joints were hurting. He didn't think much of it because he was that kind of guy that just kind of worked through those kinds of things. You just keep working and you'll feel better. And he just kept doing that. The next day he woke up and felt even more aches and pains, but he just kept at it. And a few days after that, he realized something kind of weird was happening with his hand. He felt his hand growing numb. Um, and it was weird, he'd, he'd find himself doing his work and then he'd shake his hand and go, what's going on with my hand? It was weird. But that stuck with him for several days and eventually he saw something even more troubling was he saw that there was a raised area on his skin, on his arm, it was white kind of. Some of you know how this feels when you see something, the older you get, you start thinking, oh, melanoma. You know, you see dots and things in your skin, the older you get, you're like, oh no, cancer. And you kind of have that sinking feeling, could I have melanoma? Well, that's how this guy felt. He thought, oh no, there's something here and it's kind of a raised white area. But he thought, oh, whatever, I'm sure it's nothing. A few days later, that same area got a little whiter and a little puffier, but also shockingly, and this was sort of the thing that turned a corner in his thinking when he saw that several of the hairs on his arm around that area turned bright white. And you see, that was a telltale sign of something really bad that was happening. He suspected because of those symptoms that horribly loathsome disease of Bible times called leprosy. But not really willing to just give it to someone and say, yeah, I've got leprosy. He, he actually even hid it from his wife for several days. He'd wear long sleeves at home. He didn't want her to see the, he thought, I'm sure it's nothing. And he just kind of dismissed it as many of us do but it only got worse. He could no longer hide it when one day he was out working and he was actually sharpening his sickle because he was getting ready to harvest. And he had done this a million times. It was almost muscle memory for him, but with his hand numb, without feeling, he became sort of clumsy and he, he sort of fumbled around with his sharpening implements and, and ended up uh, slipping and, and slicing his hand wide open. And he waited for the excruciating pain only to feel nothing and blood was gushing and his hand was cut open, but he didn't feel a thing. And he couldn't hide this from his wife. He bandaged up his bleeding hand and held it close and walked home, really kind of fearful. And his wife looked at the, what happened and he explained. And then she pulled his sleeve up and saw the white patch with the white hair. And she thought, honey, oh no. And right then and there, she burst into tears knowing what he had to do. Because the Jewish law, 
It was not just the law, it was the law of Moses. The law of the leper from the book of Leviticus said that once you saw something like that, you had to go and show yourself to the priest and he would inspect. Because it was a highly contagious disease, leprosy was. And so they knew what they had to do and he got his things together and he made the journey to the priest where he showed his arm to the priest and you know, the priest looked at it and had to kind of look at the rules and what, what it looked like because the law of the leper was found in what, what our day of Bible, Leviticus chapter 13, the law of the leper told the priest what to look for and sure enough, the evidence was there. So the next step, according to the Levitical law, was you'd put that person in a, an isolation, in quarantine for seven days. And the priest would make him stay there in sort of a cell of the synagogue or of the temple. They'd, they'd just kind of stay there um, isolated. And then after seven days, the priest would look again. If he saw that the patch had gotten less and he seemed to be improving, well, that wouldn't be leprosy because leprosy doesn't get better. But if it was still there or even worse, then that man would be declared a leper. And in Bible times, once a leper, always a leper. You were doomed. It was a death sentence. So our friend from Galilee, from Capernaum, went into that isolation and it, those seven days seemed like seven years to him. Would he be able to see his precious daughter again? Would he be able to hug his wife? Would he be able to go back into his fields and work or was he doomed? And his heart would just throb with pain and ache as he thought of, what was happening to him. He couldn't believe it was happening to him. But finally, the seven days rolled around. The priest looked at his arm and to his horror, the priest said, unclean, you are a leper. Well, the law was very clear what was supposed to happen. In fact, if you read Leviticus 13, right there in verses 45 through 46, it tells the priest what to do. The leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, his head bare. He shall put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry, unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone without the camp or outside the city shall his habitation be. The person that was diagnosed by the priest as having leprosy would be doomed to no longer live among civilization, but he'd have to go and live in total isolation, either by himself or in what you and I know as they were, leper colonies. There in Capernaum, just shortly outside the city, maybe two miles, were a series of caves. It was kind of a hole in the ground with these caves and that's where the lepers lived. And so the priest told him, you can go home one more time and get your things that you can carry and report to the leper colony. And so our friend, sadly, with tears flowing, makes his way home, can't really hug his daughter, can't really hug his wife because of his contagious condition. But with tears, he says his final goodbye and goes and lives in the caves of the lepers. Horrible, horrible situation. You know, the leprosy comes on fairly slowly, but it gets worse and worse. In fact, William Barclay wrote about what a leper looks like in Bible times, and this is what he said. The whole appearance of the face is changed till the man loses his human appearance and looks like the ancient said, a lion or a satyr. The nodules grow larger and larger. They ulcerate 
From them comes a foul discharge. The eyebrows fall out, the eyes become staring, the voice becomes hoarse, and the victim wheezes because the ulceration of the vocal cords. The hands and feet always ulcerate. Slowly, the sufferer becomes a mass of ulcerated growths. The average course of the disease is nine years, and it ends in mental decay, coma, and ultimately death. The sufferer becomes utterly repulsive, both to himself and to others. Horrible, horrible disease. The leper would then wrap themselves up in rags. You'd see it in the movies. Maybe you've seen old movies where they showed lepers and they were wrapped in rags. Why would they do that? Two reasons. The stench of their wounds and the pus, they'd cover it up with rags. But also, you always hear people joke around about leprosy, how they, you know, pieces of their body falling off, hands and feet falling off. It's not really what happens, honestly. What happens is because they lose the feeling in their hands and feet, ears and nose and stuff like that, what happens is, is they hurt themselves, stub their toe, and it, they don't feel it. They have no feeling of wounds. So they end up accidentally wounding themselves, not even knowing, and then they, those wounds get infected and things start happening. And even more, and, and you might say, but this is gross. Well, this is the po point of the Bible of leprosy. It was a grotesque, horrible thing. So bad was it, the stench would draw the rats. And at nighttime, when the leper was asleep, the rats would come and nibble and they wouldn't feel a thing. That's how they lost their extremities. Horrible, horrible, loathsome, disease. Once a year, the family members of the lepers were allowed to come closer to the leper colony. They would still keep a hundred yards away, but they would walk up and they would look and the lepers would look from behind the rocks of the caves and they would look and see their families from about a hundred yards away. And the families would lay down clothes and some supplies and try to, try to give them stuff that would hopefully ease their suffering a little. But he would see his daughter year after year and his wife come and five years into it, his daughter there, now eight years old, and then 10 years old, year after year. It seemed to him like time was standing still and he was only waiting to die. But one day in the leper colony, there, there became a buzz and there was a hoarse whispering of lepers talking of something that they'd all heard rumor of. The rumor somehow got to the lepers that there was a guy who was going around. First, there was this guy, kind of a wild man. They, they, they knew his name was John the Baptist. And he was talking about a guy that was coming. Well, that guy came and, and his name, they called him Jesus. Some people called his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. But what got the lepers' attention is he was spoken of being one as, as, as that had healing abilities. He was able to heal people that were diseased and even maybe raise the dead. And some of these lepers thought, oh, if he would only come here. The reason they thought that a, technically a leper, according to the law, couldn't leave the leper colony. In fact, if you left the leper colony and you went out in that region uh, walking around as a leper, people had legal right to start picking up rocks and stone you to death on the spot. You were not supposed to leave and you'd put yourself at great risk, great peril if you left the leper colony. But this man thought to himself, what do I have to lose? I'd rather die by rocks than this horribly loathsome disease. I'd rather risk all and try to find this one who could perhaps 
heal me. He's one who could do it. And so with a a, a tiny glimmer of hope in his heart, he thought, I'm gonna gonna risk all. And he bolted as, as, as much as he could with his condition after seven, eight years of leprosy. He was close to death but he made his way back into Capernaum where he lived because he heard that this one Jesus was locally there somewhere around Capernaum. And so he makes his way down the hills of, of, by the Sea of Galilee that was on the shore of uh, the shore side of, of, of Capernaum when he saw a multitude of people walking. They were coming down the hills outside of Capernaum. Big multitude. And they all looked very interested in this one guy and he thought thought to himself, surely this is the one they're talking about. But he knew he had to be quick because people would freak out once they saw him, once they smelled him. But he thought this is my only hope. And so he made his way as quickly as he could to the one that everybody was drawn to, everybody was talking with. And he he rushed his way in and, and sure enough, somebody said, leper! And people started freaking out. Some people even started reaching down to pick up rocks and they were gonna throw them at him because that's what you do when you see a leper. But this leper went right through the crowd and went stood right in front of the man they called Jesus. That story that I just told is what I would call historical fiction, but I tell it for a reason. Um, the story we're about to read here in Matthew chapter eight is that of the cleansed leper. And we read stories like, oh yeah, yeah, some guy had leprosy and he, died, and he almost died, but he uh, got healed, die end. That's the way we view some of these Bible stories. But you have to remember, this was a real person who had real suffering. Um, and that was a very similar story to countless others through the ages who had to deal with this horrible disease of leprosy. But here, this guy, he finds Jesus. And that's where we pick up our story in Matthew chapter eight, verse one, let's read. Matthew chapter eight, verse one. And when Jesus, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshiped him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him saying, I will be thou clean and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said unto him, see thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. See how short and sweet this little story is? But this was a huge event because the last time a leper was cleansed in the Bible or in the Judaism of that time, was hundreds of years earlier from 2 Kings, a story in 2 Kings. Some guy got healed, but it hadn't been for several hundred years and suddenly there's this guy who comes and can just touch someone. You're not supposed to touch a leper. But Jesus touches him and says, be thou clean and bing, his skin is restored. He's got the skin of a baby's bottom. He's, he's, he's clean and he's, He's no longer leprous. And, and then Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest and bring the gift that Moses says for a testimony. Now, all this to say, you say, okay, Brett, this is quite a story. But there's so much here that we can miss. First of all, what mountain was Jesus coming down from? Well, this is where we left off on Wednesday night. It was the Mount of Beatitudes. 
This, this happened right after Jesus gave the sermon we've been studying for the last month and a half. The sermon, all the red letters in chapter five, six, and seven of your Bible. That sermon just finished. And then on Wednesday night, you and I, we saw the, the way the, the crowd responded. It was, remember, it was a heavy sermon. If you've been with us, you know, Sermon on the Mount's really heavy. But the people went away thinking this. We know what they were thinking. Matthew chapter seven, verse 28. Let's back up what we ended on Wednesday night. It says, it came to pass when Jesus ended these sayings, the Sermon on the Mount, that the people were astonished at his doctrine. Uh, the word doctrine just means teaching. So they're shocked, astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. The scribes were the teachers of the day, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they all went around teaching. But interestingly enough, they noticed something was different about Jesus. You know, he, he had the heft to him. The, the words that he said weren't empty. You know, some people like to wax eloquent and say stupid stuff and sound intelligent. And, and, and man, that happens even today. It's kind of interesting, but, but Jesus, when he spoke, the people acknowledged, man, he's not like all those other guys. When he speaks, he speaks as one having authority. You say, well, that's great. Yeah, but when you hear the Sermon on the Mount, that should be kind of scary. Because remember, Jesus said stuff with authority, like unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Saying that with authority would give you a little pit in your stomach because you would know as a Jew in those days, <laughs> your righteousness is nowhere near what a Pharisee's righteousness seemed to be. And he even upped the stakes with stuff like, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. If you're angry towards your brother, you're guilty of murder, Jesus said. Like Jesus just upped the game so much that you might walk away saying he said that with authority, but that's horrifying because who then can be saved? Who can go to heaven? I wonder if some of those people had sort of a joy because they heard truth from Jesus, but also a little bit of a hurt and a fear because man, I'm not that person, I'm not saved. And maybe you think I'm doomed. As you're walking down the Mount of Beatitudes, having heard the sermon, you'd be going, oh man, is there any hope for me? And then suddenly this leper shows up and you're kind of freaked out. Oh, there's somebody who's doomed. I may be doomed, but that guy's really doomed. He's totally doomed. You see, Jesus didn't give the answers on the Sermon on the Mount. He just preached the doom of humanity. Why didn't he teach the answer? The answer to the, the question there is, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to the Sermon on the Mount. You and I can't be as good as the Sermon on the Mount requires. None of us are able to do that. That's why we need Jesus. And then Jesus demonstrates the answer to the Sermon on the Mount when he heals the leper. How does he do that? What do you mean, Brett? Well, did you know that there was actually a truth and a false? The truth was the Bible treats leprosy throughout Old Testament and New as a picture of sin. Leprosy is a type or a picture of sin. Now the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes took it too far when they said, well, if you have leprosy, you're a sinner and that's why you have leprosy. They would preach that. So if you saw a leper, you'd say, well, he must've done something really bad because look at him, he's a leper. Now that was a wrong conclusion. Leprosy is, however, a picture of sin and all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible sort of handles it like you and I, we're the lepers in the story. We're plagued with the disease that stinks, that is sin. So notice that Jesus sees this guy who's a leper and all of them would have been saying, sinner, and throw a rock at him. 
Um, but Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't turn and say, what are you doing here, sinner, you stinky leper? Jesus doesn't do that. That's what everybody else would have done. But Jesus in this account, in fact, I love it. This story is not only in Matthew's account, but Mark's as well. When you read the gospel of Mark, in fact, we learned something in Mark chapter one, verse 41, it says this, in addition to what we learned in Matthew eight, it says in Mark one, and Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be thou clean. The part we learn in Mark is that he was moved with compassion. It's one of the things you'll always see Jesus, our savior do, is move in his heart with compassion toward the doomed sinner. So there's the people coming down the Sermon on the Mount going, oh man, we're doomed. Because unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, we're doomed. And then they see the doomed leper and Jesus says, I'm having compassion on you, be thou clean. And he does the unthinkable. He does what many would say is the impossible. They hadn't seen a leper cleanse. Only legends talk about second kings when the leper was cleansed, Jesus doesn't condemn him, he's got compassion on him. And so this leper shockingly has enough faith. Did you notice? He's got a faith like you and I have. He says, I know that you can cleanse me, but will you? That's often what we, we know God is able to do whatever, we just sometimes doubt whether or not he's gonna do it for us. You get a sense of this leper kind of thinking that way. I know you can heal me, he says, but will you? And Jesus said, I will. And by the way, this raises an interesting question. Does Jesus heal the believer, the Christian, every time? Well, the answer on that is yes, but there's a lot of confusion on this one. There's cults out there that say, you don't need to go to doctors or hospitals because you just have to have faith. And if you have enough faith, then Jesus would heal you. So you're a sinner if you're not healed, it's your fault. And that's just the wrong teaching. Remember Paul the apostle had an infirmity of the flesh. He called it the thorn in his flesh, but he prayed three times. The Lord said, okay, Paul, stop praying. I'm not gonna heal that one. That's Paul the apostle. That's the one who had his sweatbands laying around and people would touch him and they'd be healed. Like the Bible's clear, Paul healed a lot of people, but he himself sat in his, whatever it was, some infirmity of the flesh, the Bible calls it. So sometimes the Lord doesn't heal right away. Is Paul healed today? Well, let me tell you, there's three layers of healing that I wanna express. And the first way Jesus heals, just quickly, is number one, immediately. That's what we're seeing here in Matthew chapter eight, verses one through four. Here's this leper who's all pussy and diseased with leprosy, and guess what? Bing, instant healing. I, I love this one. This is a fun one to be a part of. It's fun to see that. And you know, some of you have seen an instantaneous healing from the Lord and that happens from time to time. It's not the major part of the time in my experience. Once in a while here at Athe Creek, we've seen prayer for things that doctors gave stage four cancer and doomed. And we've seen the church come around and pray and we've seen healing and it's glorious. We like that one. Well, if that doesn't happen, then you're not healed. Well, not exactly because let me tell you about the second type of healing that often is more common there's progressive healing. That's over time. Oh, Brett, you're just calling healing that which your body naturally does. Your body is able to not, no. It's supernaturally natural. Isn't it a miracle that God made your body where it heals itself? That's a miracle of God right there. And I'm gonna call that progressive healing. And, and you know what in, is included in that? Doctors, medicine, treatment, care. Those are all things that God uses sometimes. And I'm gonna call that progressive healing. Um, when did Jesus sign his name to doctors and medicine? I'll tell you, interesting little story. Remember when Jesus 
went to the blind mat and he, and he took and made spit and mud and put the mud in his eyes. I remember as a kid, I was always hung up, ew, that's gross. But in Bible times, they thought of spit and mud as medicinal. And so Jesus was in a sense signing his name to medicine, even though he could have just thought the thought, be healed, and his eyes would have been restored. But he didn't do that, he used a process. And through a time, and, and remember the blind man that saw, but he only saw kind of men walking around like trees. I, I only see a little bit. The Lord says, okay, let's do this again. And he does it again. Was Jesus not on his game that day? What was Jesus doing there? I think he was showing sometimes, sometimes it's a process and it's a progressive healing. The Lord uses that and does that. Um, by the way, the second king's um, healing of the leper, remember that guy had to go and dip in the, the river seven times. It was a process of just being obedient seven times and something that he thought was stupid. But he ended up doing it at the coercion of some of the people around him and he did it. And through that progressive time, doing the right thing, he was healed. So sometimes the Lord heals immediately, sometimes progressively. And then the third and final one is ultimate healing. When does the Lord ultimately heal? Well, if you're a believer, if you're a person of Christian faith, believing in Jesus, guess what? When you die, that's the ultimate healing. And that, that's why I can say, when a believer is sick or diseased or hurting, every single time they're gonna be healed. The question is when? Will it be immediate? Will it be progressive? Or will it be the ultimate? When you go, go to heaven and you get a whole new body, I'm looking forward to that, man. Exchange the ab for some abs. It'll be great. New body, looking forward to that. It's gonna be wonderful. But until then, you know, the, the leprosy hadn't been healed for hundreds of years. By the way, the history of leprosy is interesting. Dr. Um, uh, Amauer Hansen of Norway was the first doctor to see the leprosy germ under a microscope. This was in 1873. And leprosy was a horrible, horrible plague through the time of Christ all the way till the time of the 1800s. But um, in the, in the 1900s, they came up with some medicine practices that were sort of a little bit um, not working very well, but they started trying to treat leprosy with a, a certain nut that they extracted the oil from the nut and they would inject it. And there were some short-term benefits, but the long-term benefits seemed uh, questionable. But it was after 1941, they came up with the medicine called Promin, which was, uh, you know, the US Public Health Service came up with this treatment. And again, it was, working somewhat, but it was extremely painful and required far too many injections into the poor victim. But our Dr. R.G. Cochran was a, a pioneer in the use of Dapsone for leprosy. They were pills, um, but the leprosy uh, germ learned sort of to be resistant to that. And so it wasn't completely successful until in the 1970s, fairly recent, uh, success at last. On the island of Malta in the 1970s, there was a combination of drugs that were discovered by doctors. And by 1981, the World Health Organization, it used to be a trustworthy organization, uh, came up with multi-drug therapy, um, three drugs taken in combination. Um, and this treatment takes six months to a year to actually be effective. But in treating people with leprosy throughout the world, they've rubbed out leprosy. Um, this biblical form of leprosy is no more on the planet. Thank the Lord for that. This is where the Lord uses medicine. And I think that's all part of God doing that progressive kind of healing. But in our story here, 
I love how this man was healed instantaneous. That's, that's the, where we, I think we call that more of a miracle. It's all a miracle if you ask me. But one thing that we need to observe, and there's many things here, but notice the word, when a leper is what we would call healed, the Bible doesn't use the word healing except for one remote little story. All the other times talking of the leper being healed, is used, they use the word cleansed. Why? It's because in the Bible, leprosy is used to picture sin. Like you and I need to be cleansed from our dirty sins. Leprosy is a picture of that throughout the Bible. The Bible shows that leprosy is sin. How is leprosy like sin? Well, let me, let me give you a few ways. Um, it's an amazing analogy, really. Leprosy is like sin. And number one, it starts small, but it ends big. Uh, it starts as just a little spot on your skin. You're like, oh, no big deal, whatever, but it's deadly. Starts small, but ends big. In the laws of the leper in Leviticus 13, it says the priest shall see him and behold, if the rising in his skin is the idea, be white in the skin and it have turned the hair white and there be a quick raw flesh in the rising, the implication that that man should be diagnosed as a leper. Starts just small. Your sin started small. You know, nobody ever started out saying, today I'm gonna be a raging alcoholic and they took a little shot glass. That's not how it happens. It always starts small, innocent, seemingly no big deal. But sin, if you're not careful, starts small, but gets big real fast. Number two, sin, like the disease of leprosy, spreads quickly. Not just on your own body, but around you, with the people around you. There's something that's infectious in a bad way about our sin that we drag other people. In fact, oftentimes our sin, we drag our loved ones, the ones we love the most, they end up being diseased with our leprosy. And especially those of you that are parents or those that of you are of influence, have people under your care or leadership. Man, when you sin, when we sin, it's like a contagion that spreads horribly. Um, we gotta watch out for the spread of our sin. But number three, like leprosy, it brings out isolation, isolation. Um, the leper is told you've gotta go live in a cave how does sin bring about isolation? Let me tell you, as a pastor, I've seen this so many times, it's really tragic. What happens is a couple levels of this. First of all, if you're a sinner and you just keep living in sin, but you claim to be a Christian, you're living in no man's land and you become kind of isolated. In fact, usually the person that knows better and doesn't really, shouldn't be sinning, but they, they're just choosing to do it. Jesus calls them out and says, men love the darkness because their deeds are evil. So when we start doing sinful stuff, we go into hiding. No longer you don't wanna hang out with family as much as you once did. No longer you don't wanna be with your friends and hang out and have good fellowship. No longer do you wanna be a part of a church and you start making up stupid excuses. I don't like organized religion and I don't like Christians and the church is full of hypocrites. That's usually a sign that you're just a big honking leper. You're a sinner and you don't like being around people who are trying to at least be close to the Lord. You can find yourself isolated. And you know what's even worse? No longer do you feel comfortable around God's people. So you go back to your old party friends at the bar or wherever, at the strip club, and there you are. And they're like, dude, aren't you supposed to be one of those Christians? What are you doing here? So you're in no man's land. You're, you're neither here nor there. And you're sort of riding this goofy fence and you find yourself totally isolated. You don't relate to the church. You don't relate to the friends at the strip club, but there you are in isolation. Kind of a sad thing, I've seen this far too many times. And it's all of your own doing. 
That's what happens when we sin, it brings about isolation. We can go on in other ways, our sin isolates us, but that's what happens. But number four, not only that, it leaves everything contaminated. When a leper was diagnosed there in the law of the leper in Leviticus 13, this is what it says, he shall therefore burn the garment, whether uh, warp or roof, which is a kind of clothing, in woolen or in linen or anything of skin wherein the plague is, for it is a fretting leprosy, it shall be burnt in the fire. In other words, that's the King Jimmy way of saying, man, uh, you gotta burn your clothes because they're diseased. And the problem is, is because it spreads. You might be saying, Brett, it's just my sin. It's not hurting anybody else. I can do whatever I want. Oh, that's what so many people have said only to find out that their sin is the one that has hurt everybody around them. Consider Judges chapter seven, Achan, the one who took the accursed thing, the clothes, the, the bar of gold, the silver, and hid it under his tent and he thought he pulled it off. But if you remember the story, it ended up costing him his life and his whole family. How I've seen this so tragically, how families are torn apart and wounded and hurt because of one man's sin. The people he loves and cares about the most often are victims of his own contagious sin. So it leaves everything around it contaminated. That's why the Bible employs leprosy as a picture, a type of sin. Number five, it deadens the senses. As I mentioned earlier, the most dangerous part of leprosy is that you lose feeling and sensitivity. When you and I sin, we lose sensitivity toward that which is right and wrong. Our conscience becomes calloused or even seared. How is it that people and parents can do such things? You know, like, have you seen all the news lately? The big trend right now, and I don't get it, I don't understand. How can parents think it's cool to bring their five-year-old children to a drag queen strip show? and have their kids on the laps of the drag queens and uh, with them on the stripper pole. How, how is it a person gets that way? I'll tell you, a seared conscience. Somewhere along the way, their own worldview and sinful attitude made them start to lose sensitivity in their conscience. The conscience, there's old sermons from generations past. One preacher said, the conscience is the nerve ending of the soul. But Paul, and, and I mean, I've been harping on this verse a lot lately because it's what's going on in our culture. I mentioned it last week, 1 Timothy 4, <coughs> excuse me, verses one and two, says, now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. These are the days we're living so it's no wonder people are calling good things evil and calling evil things good. Our conscience has been seared and that's because we've been plagued with the sin, with the leprosy of sin. And that's why the sinner, the way of the sinner, well, like Proverbs 13, 15 says, but the way of the transgressor is hard. And Numbers 32, 23 talks about how this, I'll be sure of this, your sin will find you out. In other words, your sin's gonna catch up to you and it's gonna make your life hard. And I would even add for most miserable. And that's why leprosy is compared in the sense that it deadens the senses. Finally, number six, the reason sin and leprosy are similar is number six, it is in fact a sentence of death. A sentence of death. And this is where Romans chapter six tells us, Paul told us this clearly, the wages of sin is death. 
When you and I sin, man, the repercussion of sin is death. And you say, well, everybody dies. No, this is what we call eternal death. Uh, and hell, the Bible talks about this. But good news, this is where we start to bridge the gap. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, people coming down the mountain from the Sermon on the Mount were in, in sort of a typological way, they were coming down the mountain with a similar problem as the leper. The leper was doomed. So were the sinners who heard the Sermon on the Mount. But I wonder if those people, when they saw Jesus touch the leper and say, be clean, and he got healed. I wonder if suddenly there was a little hope for the hearers of the Sermon on the Mount. Because even as he was doomed with leprosy, they were doomed with their sin. But if Jesus can cleanse the leper immediately, then why couldn't he cleanse them of their sins? You see, notice it says here in, our, in this Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. This reminds me of something Jesus told the leper. After Jesus talk, uh, healed the leper, do you see what happened? It says uh, in verse four, check it out again. Jesus said to him, see thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. What is this about? Well, I bet you the religious leaders are like, what is he talking about? You see, by the way, for those of you who know your Bible, there's some interesting stuff going on. Remember the scribes, Pharisees, they wanted to accuse Jesus of breaking the law. Jesus never broke the law. Jesus was a perfect keeper of law. He didn't come to destroy the law, but to what? Fulfill it. And so Jesus cleanses this leper. They're all going, what's going on? And then he says, go do what Moses in the law told you to do and bring your gift. What gift? I'm sure that the Pharisees had to brush off. They hadn't seen a leper cleansed for hundreds of years. They're probably like, oh, what was the thing they're supposed to, oh yeah, get this. somewhere in Leviticus. <laughs> Oh yeah, what are they supposed to? In fact, why don't you grab your Bible, turn to Leviticus chapter 14. Flip over there, keep your finger in um, Matthew 8 and go to Leviticus 14. I told you Leviticus 13 was the laws concerning the leper, and it is. That is identifying and diagnosing leprosy. But shockingly, chapter 14 of Leviticus is what do you do if a leper's cleansed? And there was a very clear and distinct process the leper that would be cleansed, which would happen so rarely. I'm sure they, they had to kind of research this and go, what was that thing about a leper if he got cleansed? Because they hadn't seen that for hundreds of years. They had to go back and brush off Leviticus 14. And there is the process. And I think this is where some of you read your Bibles at night, you're going to bed, you're reading devotionally and you read Leviticus 14, like whatever. What is this birds and boards and hyssop and what's this all about? It's kind of a creepy story about one bird that gets killed and the other one gets sopped up in its blood. What in the world? And you just kind of go, whatever, the Old Testament. Oh, but you miss, you miss the most beautiful. This is one of those, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. That is Jesus. Jesus is the word. And when you read these Old Testament stories, everything points to Jesus and it makes the Old Testament come alive. Let me show you how that works. Here in Leviticus 14, verse one. It says, and the Lord spake to Moses saying, this shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest. Question, who is our high priest in the New Testament? Jesus. And what are they supposed to do? Bring the leper to the priest. That's something you and I are supposed to do, by the way. Just a heads up. 
So they bring the leper to the priest, and then verse three, the priest shall go forth out of the camp. So the priest actually goes out of his normal dwelling place and comes and meets the leper halfway. Interesting. Um, outside of the camp. Now, why do they do that? Technically, because a leper's filthy and unclean and could disease people. Um, so they don't want him walking around town. So they go and meet him out, out, outside of the camp. And the priest shall look. And behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper, then the priest will command to take for him, that is to be cleansed, two birds alive and clean. Now you say, Brett, what's a clean bird? Like, did you shampoo up the parrot or whatever before the, no. Um, in the Jewish law, there was clean birds and dirty birds. And you were not supposed to use a dirty bird. What's a dirty bird? Um, it's, it's a sandwich at uh, Dave's Hot Chicken. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's good too. But no, in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, the dirty bird was like a vulture or birds that were declared by God as unclean. You can't use a vulture. They would traditionally use a dove or even a, something as simple as a little, um, you know, starling or a little sparrow, stuff like that, just little clean birds. But, um, but they had two birds. It says, take the two birds alive and clean and cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in earthen vessel over running water. Weird. As for the living bird, he shall take it and the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and shall dip them, all of those things, in the living bird, in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And verse seven, he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed, the leper, from the leprosy seven times. Seven times you sprinkle the blood and the water from the bird, from the vessel, and you sprinkle it seven times on the guy that has leprosy. And it says, um, and you shall pronounce him clean. I love that, pronounce him, you are now clean and shall let the living bird loose into an open field. What a weird process. Um, have you ever thought, I mean, I know I'm weird, but have you ever thought what poor, goes into the poor, poor bird brain? You know, he's sitting there and he's, him and his buddy are taken by these guys. You're like, what's going on? And then you see your buddy killed in an earthen vessel and his blood sprinkled. You're like, oh, that's gross. And then you, they take you and rub you in his blood <laughs> and then kind of wring you out and the blood's dripping on this guy that's all pussy, or at least he was. And then all of a sudden they take you out and you're all bloody and wet and kind of freaked out. And then they let you go in a field and you fly away. <laughs> like, what was that all about? Um, I know I'm weird, but I do think about these things. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, Brett, what is that all about? Well, as it turns out, everything in the Bible points to Jesus. I think you should know that. Let me just do a really quick rundown on what we actually are seeing here because you remember um, the Old Testament is a picture book illustrating New Testament truth. The greatest truth is Jesus. And this is a beautiful picture of what happens. Bird number one, the one that was killed in the earthen vessel. Let's talk about that for a second. Jesus who left, if you would, his nest in heaven and came down and, and what did he do? He became a man. What is an earthen vessel a picture of in the Bible? Anybody, you Bible students? Hello. Right, somebody said it, your body. Uh, you can jot this down in your notes, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, where it says, we have this treasure in our earthen vessels. Um, you and I were made of clay, the Bible says, and the Bible compares your body to this earthen vessel. And so what happens? Jesus comes from heaven and is put in an earthen vessel. And then what happens? Um, he's hung on a cross which, what is this cedar board all about? Whenever you talk about the wood in the Bible, wood points us to the cross. 
And some places it's kind of a dual thing of, of, of humanity and the cross, which there's reasons they co-mingle together. But this, so you got this bird with some cedar wood, which speaks of the cross and water is being poured, not just standing water, but living water, that is running water over the bird that's been bleeding in the earthen vessel. The water, uh, living water in the Bible, you Bible students, what's that the type of? Yes, the Holy Spirit. So you got these amazing elements. Well, what about the hyssop? Was hyssop part of the cross? Oh, in so many ways. Remember the picture of the cross in the Passover of Exodus 12? Remember how they killed a lamb and took the blood and with hyssop, they wiped the blood on the doorpost. And then when the spirit of death came over, instead of that firstborn dying, the spirit of death passed over the house because of the blood that was on the door by the hyssop. Meanwhile, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, they reached up to him with hyssop, if you recall. It's an interesting thing that hyssop is an element of the cross. And so you got all these elements. You got the earthen vessel, Jesus, who was in a human vessel, made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant and was obedient to the death of the cross. That's what Philippians two says. And the blood was spilled, water was poured out and cedar wood, the cross, hyssop. And, and then you say, okay, so that's the first bird that died of the blood. But what happened to bird number two? Well, this is where it gets a little confusing, but stick with me for a second. Bird number two is also Jesus. How's that so? Jesus is dead. But what happened after Jesus died on the cross? Then what? He rose from the dead and ever lives to make intercession for you and me. Jesus Christ in his resurrection is bird number two, but bird number two also represents you and me. How so, Brad? I'm confused. How can, um, you know, you kill two birds with one stone here? <laughs> well, actually it's what the Bible teaches us. We get to go free because Jesus had victory over death. Jesus rose from the grave, out of the earthen vessel, out of the grave. Jesus rose from the grave and went free back into heaven, if you would, and ascended you and I. Because he did that, we get to go free too. That's the point. Um, Second Corinthians, you can read the whole chapter, but it's all about that. But Second Corinthians 4, Second Corinthians 15, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. It's one of the promises of God's word. What an amazing picture of what actually is happening. So the leper, who's a type of sin, gets the blood sprinkled on him from the bird that died in a human vessel, earthen vessel, and with the board and the hyssop and all that stuff that points to the cross. And suddenly the leper is now declared clean. So now is he done? Well, not exactly. If you keep reading chapter 14, there's a couple more things they have to do just to fill you in quickly. The leper would then go and shave his whole body. Every hair off of his body was to be shaved off. Um, Mr. Clean. And then they, they would go to, back to the priest and the priest would kill a lamb on the altar in the temple. And then with that blood that was shed from the lamb, they would mix it with oil. Oil is also a type of what, anybody? Holy Spirit, somebody said it over here. So the Holy Spirit, the oil and the blood would be mixed. Now, there was a, a, an anointing ritual that was about to happen, but normally this anointing ritual that I'm gonna describe was reserved for three main people, very elite bunches of people. There, were, there was this process of taking the oil and the blood and the priest would dip his fingers in the blood and he would anoint the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right big toe of the person. Why would they do that? Well, there were three main people. 
prophets would be anointed this way, like Samuel and the prophets, Isaiah and the prophets. They all got this kind of special elite anointing. Why the earlobe? Why the thumb? Why the ear? Answer, that which he hears, that which he does, that place where he goes was all to be anointed and set aside for the Lord and his purpose. It was a symbolic anointing for the prophet, but also for the priest and also for the king. In the Bible, you read about this thumb, ear, uh, toe anointing that happened to the elite prophets, priests, and kings. But there's one other person in the Bible that gets this very elite, kind of amazing anointing, and it's right after that in, in, in um, Leviticus chapter 14, the leper. After the bird ceremony with the cedar and all that pointing of the cross and Jesus, suddenly he joins this elite group that gets a special anointing after the lamb was slain and the oil was given. The lamb being slain speaks of salvation. The oil speaks of the Holy Spirit coming upon you or in you when you got saved. And now you're ready to roll. It's at that point the leper could go and he's good, he's, he's declared free and he can go back to his house and hug his wife and love on his child and be back in business. We are the leper in the story. We're the ones deserving of death. But Jesus came down from heaven, God with us, um, died on the cross, shed his own blood. And when we apply that blood to our own life, we are declared clean. Now you are clean, Jesus said, by the word that I've spoken unto you. Jesus declares us clean from our sin. Now, um, all that to say, um, it's interesting. What did this guy do? Uh, you know, after Jesus told him, okay, now go and show yourself the priest. Um, Mark's gospel tells us something that's kind of funny. Because Jesus, what did he tell him? Don't tell anybody. Now, why did Jesus do this? I think this is important for some of you that went to those churches where they had the healing services and they marched the poor victims across the stage and they were throwing wheelchairs and saying, be healed in the name of Jesus and doing all that kind of weird stuff. Is that Jesus-like? No, Jesus heals a leopard and says, don't tell anybody. Now, why did he do this? I think two reasons. Humility, he wasn't looking to be exalted as the crazy, amazing healer. Um, not, not yet. But as it turns out, he also knew that once the word got out, people would be coming from all over and he wouldn't even be able to go into town. Well, that's what actually happens. It's Mark chapter one, verse 45. This same guy, our friend, the leper, he went out and began to publish it much and blaze abroad the matter insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without into desert places and they came from, to him from every quarter. Jesus was never into the hype of healing like Benny Hinn and others, um, but he was into just low profile in it. Isn't it funny? Jesus told him, go and tell no one. And he went and told everybody. After Jesus rose from the grave and ascended in heaven, he told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we tell nobody. What happened there? You and I have the job to go and publish that we were once lepers in our sin and our pus and our stink. And God saved us and cleansed us and washed us. Man, I love that. Now, I told you earlier that the Bible uses the term when the leper is healed, as we would call it, the Bible always calls it cleansed, which is a beautiful thing because it's a picture of sin, being cleansed of the sinner. Who was the guy that got the one-time calling of his leprosy being healed? Well, there's a little story there that I don't wanna leave undone on this topic of leprosy in the Bible. In fact, would you flip over to one more passage? We're almost done. Luke chapter 17. Why don't you flip over there? And in Luke chapter 17, we uh, see now that word has gotten out that Jesus cleanses the leper, <laughs> 
Can you imagine leper colonies must have come and tried to find him? Well, this, this is what happens here in Luke 17. Whole leper colony shows up. It says here in Luke 17, verse 11. It says in Luke 17, 11, it came to pass as Jesus went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, which is always amazing when you hear this. The Jews hated Samaria and they hated the Samaritans. Talk about racism. Racism was rampant during the time of Jesus. And it wasn't black versus white. It was Samaritans versus Jews. They both hated each other, which was shocking because Jesus said, we need to go through Samaria. And the disciples were like, we gotta go where? And he said, we're going through Samaria. Samaria. What area? Some area? Yeah, some area. <laughs> and Jesus did that. This was a shock. Meanwhile, as he's going through Samaria, it says in verse 12, as he entered into a certain village, there met him 10 men that were lepers, which stood afar off. Of course, they were trying to obey the laws of Samaria to not be close to healed normal people. So they lifted up their voice, verse 13, and said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. What's missing from this picture? Um, Jesus didn't say, be healed. He didn't say that like he did in the Matthew chapter eight guy. He said, I will heal you, be thou cleansed. He said that, and, and the guy instantly was cleansed. These guys didn't get that. Um, Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priest. So these guys had a little different role to play. Jesus heals people differently. Some of you get the instant healing. Some of you have to do what these guys do because they're told to go and show the priest. Yeah, but can you first heal us? Then we'll go show ourselves to the priest. Nope, go show yourself to the priest. So they had to turn and start walking toward the priest. And then check it out. It's great. It says, that, go show yourselves to the priest. And it came to pass as they went, they were cleansed. It's like every step they took, the white pus and the redness and the, and the, the, the big, you know, leprous, ugliness just started going away as they went. Can you imagine that? Sometimes the Lord requires you to take some steps of faith before you actually get to see the results. Remember the Ark of the Covenant being brought into the Jordan River? The priests had to go into their ankles and into their knees and they just kept going deeper and deeper. And then the river opened up and they were able to walk through it. It's kind of a whole another story of taking steps of faith. That's what these guys had to do. Well, then it says in verse 15 of Luke 17, it says, and one of them, one of the 10, when he saw that he was healed, that's the first time in the Bible we see the word healed in context of leprosy. When he saw that he was healed, turned back with a loud voice and glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Um, we don't know that all the 10 lepers were Samaritans, but this guy was a Samaritan. And Jesus is gonna acknowledge that in a second. In fact, it says in verse 17, then Jesus answering said, were there not 10 cleansed? Word cleansed there. But where are the nine? There are not found that returned to give glory to God, save or accept this stranger. Jesus is making note that this Samaritan guy, a stranger, he's the guy that came back and gave glory to God. So what's the difference? Well, look, look what Jesus says, and here's where we wrap it up in verse 19. And he said unto him, arise, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. New word. So we've got cleansed, we've got healed, and now we've got the word whole. Is it possible to be cleansed but not whole? I think that's the point here. 
This guy got something else from Jesus when he came to worship and glorify God for his healing, for his cleansing, and now Jesus said, you get to go away now whole. There is a difference. Some of you are saved and cleansed from your sin. Praise the Lord, you're gonna go to heaven by the grace of God. And some of you, man, when, when you get to heaven, you're gonna be like, I smell smoke. And you're like, everybody's like, poof, poof, poof. sorry, your coattails are on fire. <laughs> but welcome to heaven, you made it. Glad you made it. Whew, that was a close one. And that's great, salvation is the key. But did you know that as a former leper, you also can be made whole? This isn't the only story like this. Remember the woman with the issue of blood, 12 years of blood, and she touches Jesus's garment? And Jesus, you know, you could have just left it there. She touches the garment, she's healed. So the end of the story, right? Jesus stops everybody and goes, wait a minute, somebody touched me. And the disciples like, oh brother, Jesus, you're in a multitude, there's lots of people, they're all touching you, come on. And Jesus said, nope, virtue is gone from me. And, he, and why is he doing this? To call this woman out and make her embarrassed? No, he's not done with her. She was healed from her issue of blood, but Jesus turns and, and he starts interacting with her. And by the end, he says, now you are whole. There's a difference between somebody who's forgiven and going to heaven, but the person who's also made whole. The Lord wants that of us. Who is the leper that was made old when he came back with thanksgiving and gave glory to God and realized what a wretched situation he was in and how glorious it is. And, and the other lepers didn't even come back to thank the Lord. They just kind of took it and ran. There's something about the person, the Christian, the believer that is worshipful and remembering the, the catastrophe that they were saved from. Are you a crusty Christian? I worry about crusty Christians and I'm one of them. I've been saved for 51 years. And you know, I talk about being forgiven of my sins and, and so do you and, and many of us have been talking about it for so long. Yeah, yeah, we got our sins forgiven, we're going to heaven, it's great, God's grace and mercy. Yeah, amazing grace, that's what we thought. Like we, we've, been around, we've been around the church for a long time. But we, we start to get kind of calloused toward the glorious thing that actually happened to us 50 years ago. And I hope that as a crusty Christian, you don't let that start to mess you up as far as just being sort of unthankful, ungrateful. And, and you can find yourself singing the songs in church, going, yeah, I've sang the song a hundred times. But oh, yeah, sometimes you gotta go back and remember your pussy, sinful, leprous self that was headed for hell and eternal death and destruction. And you gotta kind of peel back those sensitivities and realize, oh, Lord, thank you for saving me. The first thing I would say as we close is, man, if you're a Christian, remember what the Lord has done for you. Go back time and time again, like this 10th leper, go back and say to Jesus, glorious work that you have done. Glory is your name, holy and righteous and true. Like worship Jesus for what he's done for you. Don't forget to do that. Remember you were a leper. And the second person I would end with today is if you're still in your leprosy, are you still walking around a leper? You're the person who's not yet been cleaned. Jesus has to look to you and say, be thou clean. How do you get to that? You gotta be like the leper of our story and go, go to Jesus and say, can I be clean? Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open. Like Jesus is just so giving. The only time you see God in a hurry in all the scripture is when he's hurried to forgive a sinner. That's the only time God's pictured in a hurry. The prodigal son, the father, who's the picture of God, the prodigal son, you and me, the sinner. And the prodigal comes moseying back to the father's house and the father's watching from afar. And when he sees his son, the father runs to the person who's coming, his son, who's the leper, sinner, pig slop, 
wacko. The father runs to him and hugs him and kisses him. That's what God wants to do for you. He will be in a hurry to forgive you and cleanse you from your leprosy. You don't need to die in your sin and pus and death and end up in hell. You can just accept the cleansing that Jesus has to offer. All have sinned, we all fall short, but good news, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The blood that was shed that is applied to the leper in the Old Testament story is the, the story that can happen to you. You know, the only difference between you if you're not a Christian here and the rest of us is we're all sinners, we were all lepers. The question is, have you been cleansed? You don't deserve it, you didn't earn it, neither did we, but you can have it for free because God made the way, the truth, the life, Jesus. Would you bow your heads as we close this service? And I would just ask uh, for Christians, would you be in prayer right now? And, and I wonder, I, I just can't resist to invite anyone who wants that from the Lord. And, and if you would, please, if you could remain seated, I know it's tempting to bolt um, and get out early, but this is kind of heaven and hell stuff that we're talking about here. And if you're one who's like, like I, I need to be cleansed, I know I'm a sinner. The Bible says that you need to repent of your sins, acknowledge you're a leper, acknowledge you're a sinner and then say, Lord, I need you to clean me. And then the Bible tells us how to do it. Romans 10, verse nine and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him up from the dead, it says you will be saved. It's nothing you did, it's what he did. He's the bird, if you would, that shed his blood. He's the lamb that shed his blood. John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, that's Jesus. So by you going to Jesus and saying, would you wash me and cleanse me from my sins? He will do it. So it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, it says you will be saved. Also known as cleansed, forgiven, washed, declared clean by Jesus. That's all that matters. That's the biggest thing that'll ever happen in your life. So why would you wait? Why would you hold back? I'd like to invite you to do that. I'm not gonna embarrass anybody or make you get up in front of anybody, but right where you sit, if that's you and you'd like to confess that in faith and be washed today, the Lord would do that. This would be a glorious day for you to do that. Um, if that's you, would you just go ahead and acknowledge that between you, me, and the Lord right now, if you would just look up at me right now and give me a quick wave, and I'm gonna look around for a minute or two and just, just I wanna just acknowledge some of you guys. Awesome, back there, cool, I see you guys. You, good, don't let me miss you, awesome. You guys right here and here, good. Anybody else, let me, let me just kind of scan for a little while. Way in the back, I see you, that's great, and you, good, and you, awesome. Over here, awesome, good. Way in the back, I see you, good. And we're just gonna pray this prayer. I'm gonna ask the whole church, we love praying this confession of faith because it's the prayer that we believe. And we read from the scriptures, this is what is required of you to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So we're gonna pray this all together out loud. But those of you that have raised your hand, the Lord sees your heart and he'll hear you as you confess this. All you gotta do is ask and he'll, he'll do it. So let's pray, let's pray this together. Dear Father in heaven, I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. And that he rose up from the grave and that I'm forgiven. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus, amen. Lord, would you just wrap your loving arms around these people who've just confessed their faith. 
May they sense the burden of their sins lifted off their shoulder, Lord, because you forgive them. And Lord, your word tells us that your, your thoughts toward us are precious thoughts and not of evil to give us a future and a hope. And may they just sense that hope that they have now of being saved and the joy of what you've done. Lord, I pray your blessing on your church. May we remember the glorious salvation, never become so accustomed to it that we lose the joy. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation, Lord, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name, amen.